Hello, and welcome to The Source of Uncertainty, a Buchla podcast for you. I'm Kyle Swisher. And I'm Robert Standifer. And welcome to episode 21. We're legal. The show yes. can drink. Yes. Let's say Todd Barton like 14 times. Todd Barton, Todd Barton, yeah. Todd Barton. Well, I'm already wasted. Yeah, good. I'm, so I'm, I am going to be now because I have to take four shots. Um, <laughs> it's one shot for each part of his name. So now you have to take two shots every time you say his name. That's too much math when I'm drinking this much, man. <laughs> You've just bartoned yourself. <laughs> you just got bartoned. Um, <laughs> Should be so lucky. Anywho, um, <laughs> we're going to kind of get right into to the episode. We, we were just talking about how, like, yeah, not much has gone on since we last talked. And we talked that whole episode. Yeah. If you re- if you remember not, <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, we're gonna kind of get right on into it. Um, I got to take a look at a 100 series uh, filter, the 194F bandpass filter. Um, so I'm gonna play around with some sounds on that. Um, does does also, the, F, the F mean filter? Uh, it's for Flux Monkey, oh, which is man. the uh, the PCB provider for that so. one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was cool. And then, oh yeah, I do like a an addendum to our uh, our fifth episode, Robert, the um, where we kind of talk about quadrature. That was the one where we oh, did the two eighty one, two ninety two stuff. Yep. So I talk about quadrature mode again, but I do it for like 12 minutes. It's awesome. Everyone (laughs) buckle up for. (laughs) It took you 16 months to figure out how to use quadrature. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle up. Yep. Booyah. (laughs) Quadrature achieved. Let's go. Let's go. Can't wait somebody to say, you know, actually, Kyle, you you were wrong about quadrature. It's it's this. Like, oh man, episode 32. You're gonna come <laughs> back with a vengeance. I'm happy to hear it. Bring it on. Well, octature. Octature by then. Oh, I I want to mention something real quick. Um, I just thought of it about Todd Barton. He is so you know, he's he's a great guy, really, really we joke about it, you know, cause he's one of the, he's the patron saint of this he's podcast. The patron saint of, of control voltages uh, through banana cables. But he, um, he, he graciously, you know, he bought my album, which made me feel really good because I've learned a lot about Bukla from him and I wouldn't even have been able to make that album if it weren't for him. And then he sent me a really nice message about it. And so I just kind of wanted to mention to folks who hear us joke about Todd, you know, playfully that he is he's really really great person and you should take a few minutes when you can and check out his videos on youtube or follow him on instagram because he produces a ton of content about bukla and it's everything from just noodling something on the easel command or some really amazing composition that he does with a whole bunch of different instruments and, and bounces between them. So, you know, I just thought, Kyle, since we kind of kid around a bit, you know, and take a shot every time we say his name, I, I wanted to point out that he is a really, really great person and does a lot for Bukla. And I personally really appreciate um, from him all the things that he's taught me directly and taught me through the stuff that he that he creates. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody knows, like, yeah. that it's with love that, you know, we have this drinking game because it's... 
you know, he's the best. Yeah. And I didn't even cash his fat checks that he pays us to say his name all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So head on over to uh, toddbarton.com. Yep. And um, yeah. So, okay. So now. Now you can do yeah. whatever about Octature or whatever you were saying that yeah, I wasn't paying attention that, yeah, to. I mean, uh, quadrature mode for 12 minutes uh, get ready um, and then we've got some cool guests on the uh, on the podcast it's um, a group called uh, Passport 2 right that's close enough yeah Passport 2 duo pass, you, pass, let's, yeah. hear, let's hear let's hear you do it Robert no because you'll just make fun of me no do it <clears throat> oh <clears throat> it's Passapatu duo. Okay. It there means skeleton key or master key. Technically, though, it means um, opens everywhere. That's what the two mm-hmm. words mean. And it's a character in Around the World in 80 Days. But that's probably a conversation we can have on another episode. <laughs> These folks have, um, they really, they really blew me away. Uh, probably. I, I wish we could have just stayed on the line and talked to them all night long about music and, and all the things that they're doing. It was just like, there are too many, too many inputs of impressive stuff that they do. Um, when I was prepping for, for meeting them, I was like, Oh my God, what, what 23 things do I ask them about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that comes out in the interview of like stumbling between topics, trying to figure out what do I want to ask now? Yeah. So many places to go. Yeah. They're great. Nicoletta and Christopher. Um, yeah, and so they have a new uh, album coming out called Epigrams, where um, I mean we'll talk about it at length, but um, where they they got to have go to a residency um, and play with a, a very very old 100 series system. We're guess guessing, you know, one of the first handful that were made. Yeah, 1966 or 67, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and and paired with. Uh, uh, piano and so yeah actually after my rambling about quadrature mode you're going to hear um, a bit of a track off the new album um, to kind of set the stage and then we'll talk to Nicoletta and Christopher so um, let's get into it hey everyone my buddy Bill the Builder um, came by with a module that I had not played before so he dropped it off and let me kind of check it out for a few days and, and test it for him. Um, and yeah, so I thought I'd share it with you. So I've got the bandpass filter model 194 F. Uh, this is a PCB, um, that's made available by flex monkey, um, which I believe it's just FlexMonkey.com and their website. And it is, is just kind of like it, it says, um, it's a 100 uh, series module, um, very bare bones, um, where it is four um, kind of notches of bandpass filters. So there's below 200, uh, 200 to 900, uh, 900 to 4,000, and then above 4,000. Um, so, and it's just one input and then two outputs for each band. Um, so this is kind of, you know, the precursor to the 294, which is um, basically the same thing. Um, the 
the kind of the cutoffs between or where they cross over is like adjusted slightly uh, between the two modules. And, um, but what the 294 has is uh, four sliders for each one. So, you, and then a sum output. Um, and it still has all the each individual um, outputs, but that sum makes it so you can use these sliders to mix in um, the different, you know, things you want to, um, you know, bring up in, in the mix. So, um, so yeah, kind of interesting to use this one that doesn't, you know, I guess I err on the side of the later 200 stuff uh, that has a lot of functionality. And so when I'm kind of uh, working with a, a 100 series module, which is not often, um, yeah, it makes you think differently because, yeah, you kind of have to um, patch in different ways to, to try and get the most out of it. So, um, yeah, for the demo, kind of what I'm going to do, I'm going to run a uh, saw wave from the uh, 258 dual oscillator. Um, so that will give a lot of uh, frequencies for it to kind of chew on. And then I have uh, the four outputs going directly into the 207 mixer. So I'm going to bring all of them up right now. So yeah, that's all of them. And then I'm going to bring them all back down. And so this is going to be the lowest, the below 200. Then this is the 200 to 900. Then the 900 to 4,000. And then the 4,000 to above. Or above 4,000, sorry. Um, I'll do a few combinations. So this will be the uh, below 200 and skipping the 200, 900 and going to the 900 to 4,000. Then I'll do the next, the kind of the opposite of that, the 200, 900 and the above 4,000. Now I'll do the highest and lowest. and the two in the middle. So yeah, that kind of gives you an idea of the sounds we're working with. I can kind of, um, you know, if I bring up the highest one, the above 4,000, um, if I were to turn down the oscillator, you're kind of just gonna hear the clicks. If I go up higher, You know, it's going to, um, as it gets, you know, closer or as the frequency is up in that frequency range, more of that is going to come through. Where the opposite, if I'm going to do the below 200, there's a lot of frequencies there. But as I get higher and higher, less of that is there. I can bring in other bands. Sweeping them all around. 
So yeah, the mixer is kind of acting like the sliders would on the 294 version. Um, the kind of step up from there uh, would be the uh, 296 pro programmable uh, spectral processor, which brings a lot more functionality. There's a lot more more kind of frequency bands that you're working with. It divides up the frequencies into um, 16 sections. Um, and then you're able to, you know, there's VCAs for each of those sections if you want to use them. Uh, there's sliders for each of them if you want to use them. Um, so it's, so yeah, basically, since I don't have that functionality with the 194, um, I'm going to run four of the inputs into the, uh, the quad low pass gate model 292. I'm also going to switch the sound source uh, from the uh, dual oscillator uh, 258 to the uh, programmable complex waveform generator model 259 um, just to get more um, tonal variation in the timbre. I'm going to do kind of put a lot of random into the timbre and harmonic section. Um, so that will kind of keep periodically shifting and kind of give different um, frequencies for the bandpass filter to chew on. Uh, probably also, knowing me, uh, add some amplitude modulation in there too, kind of get even more grungier and, and just see yeah, what the, the filter uh, adds to that. Um, okay, so yeah, using the MARF, and I have uh, several different um, pulses going into envelopes. Um, and then those are going to go into the 292. So we're kind of going to, you know, out of this one sound source, um, which I'll, you know, I'll just bring up what it sounds like right now. This is all four bands um, that are up right now. Um, now you just heard a shift there. So that's periodically going to, um, yeah, three different random um, uh control voltages going into the uh, timbre, the uh, low and high order harmonics and the symmetry from odd to even, those are all gonna kind of periodically change. Um, so yeah, now we're, so <laughs> going back, I'm gonna kind of show you what each band is gonna do rhythmically. So I've got this first one, which is uh, going to the below 200, the first input, or the, sorry, the first output. Um, you know, kind of just giving a, a steady hit. And then I'm going to go to the second output, the 200 to 900. And now I'm going to go to the next one over, the 900 to 4,000. And then the last one, the above 4,000. So yeah, very kind of clicky and hi-hat-like. So now I'm gonna start bringing them all in. Mm -hmm. 
tonal shift there. But kind of cool that it can kind of get all these different rhythmic things, but just out of one source. I'll now um, I'll put in some pitch information from the uh, from the Marf. We'll see how that changes things up. So what I can also do, um, I'm going to take the, um, the all except for the, the below 200, so the second, third, and fourth outputs. Um, I'm going to take, so they're, you know, all of these are going into the 292. I'm going to take outputs from those three frequency sets. I'm going to put them into the uh, 277 signal delay unit. Um, to kind of give some spatialization to these because I'm going to have this kind of working as a stereo delay. So I'll bring up the mix on those. I'll bring in some AM modulation. And that's coming from the modulation oscillator on the 259. And I can also mix in uh, on the mixer the, uh, the direct outputs from the 194. Kind of sweep those around. So since there's no CV uh, inputs on the bandpass filter model 194F, um, kind of the way to you know show what it sounds like is to throw different sounds <laughs> at it and um, you know see see how it processes it. Um, so with this patch, I'm also kind of going to make this be like a little addendum patch to uh, going all the way back to uh, episode five, I believe, where we looked at the 281 and 292 pairing. And we we looked at the quadrature mode and we kind of set that up and, and um, talked through it in a an interesting way, but not actually the way that I think it was truly intended. <laughs> um, 
so when it was designed, you know, back in the seventies, um, I believe it's intention when you, you know, put the A and B or C and D, uh, pairs of function generators in quadrature mode, um, the idea was to then feed those control voltage outputs into the X and Y inputs on, uh, say the, the two, uh, 27, um, uh, mixer and, uh, or gosh, sorry, the, the full name <laughs> escapes me. Um, but basically, so you could, uh, do quad panning with that. And with the, the new mixer, the two twenty seven E, um, there's a swirl mode, which basically you hit the swirl button, um, depending on what you have the, um, the value set at on the knobs for each channel, it will kind of swirl around all four, uh, speakers. So they didn't have that with the old one. It just had X and Y inputs and, um, one knob to kind of direct which speaker or you know you can kind of sweep it and the the uh, sound would follow its you know outputs to the speakers so uh all this to say you could get a swirl in quadrature mode so by linking the two function generators together and actually patching um b's uh pulse output back into the pulse input of a um what's going to happen is that A is going to uh, go through its attack phase. And once it reaches its full attack, um, that's going to trigger like internally trigger B to start its attack phase. So while B then starts to attack, A holds like kind of sustains at its, you know, full 10 volts. And then once B gets to its full attack phase, um, a's decay is going to then start and it's going to, you know, release the control voltage and, and go down. Um, so if you kind of think of this, if this, if, um, a is going into the Y input on, you know, this X, Y input for the, uh, for the quadrature panning. Um, and, uh, the way that one uh, module is set up is that the, um, when it would take CV, you'd have to have it in the lower left hand, um, speaker is where kind of the knob needed to be set. So, um, so yeah, A would go into the Y input, which would then push it up into the forward left speaker and it would hold there. Then B is going to trigger its attack and that's going to push the sound over into the front right speaker. Then as A decays, that's going to move it down into the rear right speaker. And then when B decays, it's going to go back to where it started completing that swirl. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to kind of, you know, unfortunately we're just in a, um, a, a stereo space right now, but I'm going to show you, uh, two bands that are going through this right now. So this is the 200 to 900 and the, uh, 900 to 4,000. So the kind of the two mid bands, which cover most of the frequency that you're going to hear. Um, and I have these split in stereo. So, um, so right now you're going to hear, um, a, uh, function generator ramp up, now just sustained. So now you can hear B start up and A just decayed and now B decayed.
So now um, what I kind of figured out, um, I guess the way to, you kind of jumpstart this patch, um, you don't have the, um, you don't have the function generator self-cycling. You just kind of want to um, self-cycle it once, like you push up to start it to self-cycle and then you press, um, press it back down. Um, and I'm talking about the, the switch on each of the function generators to kind of get that loop going. And then, like I said before, I have uh, B's pulse output back into A. Um, so it kind of is still self-cycling, but it gets wonky if you have one or both um, both going at the same time. Uh, but what I have found, if I then, um, I can kind of get this cascading uh, effect if I use all four function generators. So I have also C and D uh, of the 281 set to quadrature. And I'm going to put C's pulse output back into A's pulse input. And so what that's going to do is, um, oh, and then I'm going to put, sorry, I lost my patch cable. Okay, so I got my patch cable back. And uh, so yeah, like I was saying before, I've got C's pulse output um, going into A's pulse input, and then A's pulse output into uh, C's pulse input. So they're kind of cross <laughs> pulsing each other. And if I do the same thing, um, it's going to um, do the same kind of swirl effect, but it's cascading into each channel. So um, you know, A attacks, and once it hits its kind of sustain point, B starts up, and then A will decay once um, uh, B reaches its attack. And after it finishes its um, full decay, it's then going to jump start C. And then if you kind of have all the um, knobs set in the same position on each of the four channels, um, it's going to keep going. So then, um, so then basically once B uh, starts its, um, its decay period, um, or sorry, yeah, once it's uh, A is done with its dec decay period, that's going to start up um, C, and B will start decaying at that point. And then it kind of goes down into uh, D, and then it will cycle back up. So I have all these... Um, uh, attached to the four bands on the bandpass filter and I will bring those in and what I'm going to kind of do is maybe kind of fan out the outputs so my lowest one will be all the way to the left uh, 200 to 900 is going to be kind of somewhat to the left 900 to 4000 somewhat to the right and above 4,000 all the way to the right. So I, instead of each one going through its cycle, generator which is something that we, we did back in our episode 5 
um, it's kind of cool to have these things overlapping and internally triggering each other. Um, what I'll do is I'll take a pulse output on C. So when it finishes its pulse, it's going to go to random on the 266. And that's going to change a bunch of settings on the 259 oscillator. So we'll get um, kind of every pass of this. It's going to change the sound a bit. Um, these different randoms are going to pitch for both the modulation and the principal oscillator. And then also going into the uh, timbre uh, section and the harmonic section. Uh, as well as the mod index. What I could also do is kind of... Um, I could have these kind of bounce ping pong uh, left to right, so I can keep the lowest one on the left, set the 200 to 900 all the way to the right, then 900, 4000 back to the left, which you're hearing now, and then above 4000 on the right. mode on the uh, 281 and uh, this bandpass filter sounds pretty sweet Thank you. 
We've got Passepartout duo on the show today, and that's Nicoletta and Christopher. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So uh, give us a bit of background on how you two started working together. And yeah, I guess back a bit of background on Passepartout duo. We have kind of um, a short story, really, <laughs> because um, <laughs> even though we have been musicians like all of our lives, um, we've been together, uh, working together for just like the five, last five or six years. And mm-hmm. uh, we met um, just by chance <laughs> working as musicians during a festival. And um, uh, our background is in classical uh, instrument performance so piano and percussion and uh, we uh, have been very interesting in contemporary repertoire for a long time mm-hmm. and that's what our main work has been for a few years but then I think uh, between 2018 19 um, things have started um, going up a bit crazy <laughs> and uh, we've <laughs> developed a very different kinds of interests and uh, just like going with the flow, whatever um, mm-hmm. we were finding interesting at the moment. And uh, because also we are traveling all the time, the things that we find interesting are so different in the different places. And uh, yeah, so our story with synthesizers is super short. Uh, spoiler alert I wanted to give is that we are probably the people that have uh, you have had on the, your podcast that have uh, worked uh, the shortest time with a bookla, but we might be even the most uh, cu- curious um, about it and uh, happy to ask you questions about it. Yeah, uh-huh. well, yeah. yeah, that's what we want. We want curious people on the show, so <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had seen, um, I had watched maybe a video of you two performing, and I think it was maybe from a few years ago, and it seemed... I think it was just um, you two in a room with like piano and a drum set. And then, mm-hmm. and then I kind of, yeah, was watching more of your current stuff and, and yeah, it looks like you're like, maybe you kind of mentioned you're branching out into different types of instrumentation or, or setups. Um, so it, so, and, and it sounds like travel has a lot to do with, with that, as you mentioned. Yeah. So, um, because we come from this kind of classical music background and I'm a percussionist and Nico is a pianist, um, a lot of the instrumentations that you're performing with are kind of gigantic instruments. So they're not exactly portable and (laughs) they propose some kind of logistical challenges. And so that's, that's followed us everywhere we've been. It's followed our whole history together. And so there's always been this desire to kind of downsize this instrumentation and find a way to kind of perform anywhere because the places that we've been most interested in performing aren't the places that happen to have a piano and drums or whatever percussion instruments. So we experimented with different things uh, over the years from 
just taking the bars off the vibraphone and amplifying them to starting to build some kind of smaller instruments or found percussion instruments to about a year ago, starting with some DIY synth things to kind of make our own electronic things too. And that was kind of our introduction into synthesizers in general um, as well. But the portability and the kind of curating of what instruments we're playing is a is a guiding principle in our work for sure. Gotcha. And so, do you feel do you feel like restricted at all? Not maybe playing the instruments that you've you know grown up using, or is that kind of replaced by all the um, extra experimentation to kind of um, to build these things that you want to use. It's definitely something that we think about, or at least I, I think I think about that a lot. If I feel like I'm still playing percussion or I feel connected to these things. And um, I imagine it's the same uh, for Nico because now more often than not, she's playing with some kind of keyboard rather than um, like a grand piano, like a actual piano. So mm -hmm. we think about that a lot if we if we feel like uh, connected to these instruments, but at the same time, there's so much kind of play and fun with discovering something new and the way that that can frame a project or give new inspiration. That is almost more important than feeling uh, comfortable. So we think about it a lot, but um, we love kind of diving into a new project uh through through the instruments or through through that through mm -hmm. the material yeah and what in general i feel like uh, we we just think it's like not really giving up like a music uh, like a, a piano skill or a percussion skill but it's rather mm -hmm. gaining into a musicianship skill because obviously like we are not changing field so everything uh, is feeding into each other in very creative ways. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, really interesting. And there's like also a side of, let's say, I don't know, f philosophy, epistemology behind it. So every time we approach a new instrument, uh, there's like this um, uh, reviewing our own performance um, uh, attitude. And uh, uh, they, we are so interested um, in the interface um like yeah. aspect interfacing yeah like yeah it's fantastic to discover all of this uh, when um <laughs> yeah there's other people building the instruments for you and so you have to think about that too yeah so um i guess uh, yeah we can kind of jump to that and and how you mentioned interacting with these instruments so You've made several, and like you kind of mentioned, there's the the these kind of DIY synthesizers that you've uh, made. Can you kind of go go into describing a few of those? Um, they're pretty far out. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at pictures of them. Like one of them looks like a brain. <laughs> others look like orchids. It's, like a, it's a brain with the with the fortress of solitude on top. Of yeah, it. <laughs> some, some orchids, and then a pile of dirty laundry. <laughs> and like, and, and it looks like a cat's bed that cousin it is laying in. It's pretty, pretty out there. They're amazing. The only the Glock board looks like something I would know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> well, let's say that maybe we don't have the skills of engineers to build innovative uh, synthesizers and so on, but we definitely have the skills to make them look very unique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to play with them. I don't even know what they do, but I want to play them. Yeah, well, we with the synthesizers, we were always trying to think about using textiles with them. And that started because... Well, the, the whole start of the story is that we were in China on this residency and we had finished building these other instruments, which uh, weren't really, um, they weren't electronic in the sense of a synthesizer. Maybe they had it like a, a guitar pickup or a contact mic in them for amplification, but that would be it. Um, mm -hmm. And we were using those instruments with a lot of electronics, basically from the laptop and uh, looking at those pieces, the laptop was such an important part that it really led us to think about what it meant to build electronic instruments instead, and if that's something we could uh, take control over in, in our own work. And uh, just doing even the slightest bit of Google searching, you realize there's just this massive amount of people and community around people building synthesizers and other electronic instruments and devices and things. So we were kind of instantly sucked into that. And because it was kind of around the start of the pandemic lockdown in China, and also because there was this enormous electronic components like uh, market of seven floors yeah. just down the street, it was just a great environment to dive into that. So that kind of framed the whole thing. And then just about the same time, we were uh, starting this collaboration with a, a fashion brand or like a clothing company in China. And mm -hmm. we knew we had to do a project with them. And we had proposed this kind of traveling portable studio in a suitcase. That was kind of the original um, idea. And that kind of evolved into trying to use their textiles in an instrument somehow. And that's when we started trying to combine the textiles and the um, synthesizers. And at first, the attempts were really just, I would d describe them as decorative, basically, just making something that is using the textile as like an artwork alongside the synthesizer. And then more recently, we start to think more about e-textiles and how to give them this functional purpose and starting with different directions like that. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. I, that definitely fits in with sort of the culture and aesthetic of, of Buchla. You know, the, not the synthesizer format, but sort of the, um, the community of experimenters and alternative thinkers and, and musicologists uh, that tend to gravitate toward the, the Buchla instruments. So it fits right in. Hmm. Just needs banana. Banana. <laughs> Yeah, for what we know, we absolutely are enamored with uh, like the like the psychology of Bukla himself, of Dom Bukla himself, and like well, what he was trying to do and what his vision was and so on. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this definitely. Fit, I mean, it really fits in with that whole concept originating way back, you know, when the Bukla 100 was first developed, and mm -hmm. thinking about these. I would want to say alternative instruments because there's really no such thing. Um, it's not an alternative to anything else. You know, they're all instruments, 
but this uh, new way of thinking about using materials that might not fit the paradigm of at least what, what Westerners think of as musical instruments, which is, of course, exactly what the Buchla 100 was. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really neat. I'm going to play with these <laughs> <laughs> someday. Yeah. The, the um, um, is it the auto, O-T-O? Yeah. Um, that means ear so in Greek, to... by the way. Oto oh, means ear nice. in Greek. <laughs> um, I guess, like, for the listener, I kind of just want to, like, kind of describe it. I mean, we kind of mentioned it. It looks like a cloudy brain. Yeah, with crystals. With, with crystals. Plastic. That kind of are... Yeah, <laughs> are lit lit up, and and then there there are patch, some sort of patch cables too, right? Yes, it's they're crazy. the patch cables of the future. No. <laughs> yeah, no, they're um, like uh, they're pins. Um, they're like the pins that you put into one of those like little tomato pin cushions, um, and they're connected to conductive thread uh, internally. And, um, and they're very cheap. <laughs> they're very cheap. <laughs> they're cheaper than real patch cables. But uh, and then there's felt around them to kind of hold them together. So they're like half textile, half patch cable. Mm -hmm. And then those can those uh, get stuck into uh, these felted points that have a um, uh, steel wall underneath. So that's like another kind of conductive fiber. And those are basically the patch points. So. Wow, and, and the instrument works. the things that look like plastic straws—they're they're acrylic, right? And they light up. Yes, mm -hmm. or yeah, they are knobs. Basically, they're connected oh. to potentiometers. Both as well. Yeah. Wow! So somebody listening to this who has not seen the picture of the—you're like you're really missing out. I think you need to pause the podcast, go to the website, and bring up these images so that you can see what we're talking about while we're talking about it, because it's really a conceptualizing felted wool that actually looks like a sheep with clear plastic straws and wires hanging off of it is <laughs> not doing that justice. <laughs> and, you're, uh, and, and there's a video for it too, yeah. performing with it. And, um, and yeah, I think, you know, with the camera shots in place, it just looks like you're, you're placing those, uh, um, those connections just anywhere on it. It's very cool. Even though now I'm, I could, I could see where like the points are, but yeah. Um, but that's the secret though uh, of synthesizers. No, it's like this magic and you don't really know yeah. what's going on. Yeah. I have no idea yeah. what's going on behind the face plates. <laughs> yeah. You achieved that goal. Sure. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> um, so t tell me about, do you, do you have any kind of background in engineering or anything oh, like zero. that or did you just yeah, wow. yeah. cool <laughs> no nasa engagement <laughs> yeah, no, no NASA side work. <laughs> wow that's impressive i mean you know that's a good um it's a good project to take up during covid for sure, mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. yeah i'm curious about with with otos kind of specifically um because this is the one that is first in the pictures and my wife does felting. Oh. Yeah. And she's all into the fiber arts. And so yes. there is a. Put us in contact. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm looking at it and even taking the wires out, there's a, it's a craft, you know, you've made something that as a physical object has its own aesthetic quality. And the fact that you can use it to make sound 
is another aspect of its aesthetic quality. And then there's the aesthetic of you playing it, interacting with it, that is also unique. And I'm, I was looking at the, your site, talk about how you made the instrument in the same place as the wool, where the sheep are, and you, and the, uh, you got the wool from a local shepherd. And then yeah. did the two of you um, handcraft this, felt it, dye it, prepare it? Or is one of you more of the the craftsperson that kind of, a, for lack of a better term, assembled this instrument? Right. So because we are generally sharing um, efforts and uh, skills be between the two of us. So Chris is a little bit more the engineering mind, and I, cool. I was crafting this a little bit. So I have no background though whatsoever. Uh, just uh, in the past, in uh, our travels, I picked up some actually um, knitting, and we just meet a lot of textile artists, and they are so yeah. inspiring because they use, like, yeah, they have this... Um, dexterity understanding of materials that is something unknown to musicians i think um so yeah that was uh, inspiring for a a long time and then um yeah just it happened that uh, we ended up being a little bit stuck with the wool because it's so uh, like it's actually um very interesting topic at large not only because of it it's fantastic um, um yeah, features to work with and whatever, like colors and uh, variety and so on. But also because uh, it has like a discourse behind it in terms of economics and uh, society, like the kinds of community it pulls together and uh, the kinds of um, um, like shifts in economics, like the fact that it was so important in the past in many countries, but right now it's like valued basically zero. So all of this was really interesting. And um, mm. yeah, so just we developed this idea little by little. It took basically a year. <laughs> and wow. uh, I learned the. So, what we were also surprised about is that there's a, this, uh, of course, there's like this open source type of community in the synth world, but there's also the same, a pretty much parallel in the fiber world. And mm. that was really fun to put it together. So I learned these little things just uh, uh, online or asking people. And uh, cool. like, it's just a first attempt. So I'm not going around saying I'm a textile artist whatsoever. But uh, <laughs> I think we achieved uh, what we wanted to with this. Well, it, it's, um, I mean, I guess we could have a whole podcast episode about fiber arts. But <laughs> one of the things that I've learned about um textile from my wife being an artist in this is that of course wool from different sheep around the world are different so if you made this from wool that you had that you got when you were in iceland for example then that would likely change the the experience of you know using it and perhaps even the way it sounds or conducts electricity and i also like the idea i'm not suggesting you do this but you could take the the instrument spin it and turn it into a scarf and I cannot think of a single other instrument I've ever seen in my life that you could knit into a scarf. So I think that that's, <laughs> that's I, I think that's pretty amazing on it on its own. And th- then you could call it, you know, something really clever, <laughs> 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 and, and wear it and play it. Yeah, yeah. We have some plans on um, developing some kind of. We're not sure if actually instruments or like kind of uh, touch sensitive interfaces or just the installations where it's more like a 3d let's say yes sculptural but mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. woven 
so a little bit more like a scarf, I guess. And where there's like um, conductivity still and e-textiles kind of that, but it's still in the plans. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah, there is like, a, let's, let's talk about Bukla. That reminds me, um, uh, at, for Modular Seattle, where we have these um, performing events, um, there's a person, I believe her name is Aphrodite Pissara. Um, who's pre- perform- she's performed a, a couple times, and she does textiles and, and builds um, her instruments in textiles and wearables. And I think she's also kind of associated with UW and that. But hmm. um, but yeah, you know, and it just has everybody me- mesmerized. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's it's pretty special. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess we can yeah let's jump to um, to the new project that you two just finished up, and that's called Epigrams. Mm-hmm. So tell us kind of the yeah the story of of Epigrams. So it uh, seals the very first experience that we ever had with a synthesizer that was not built by us, and it happened to be the Bukla Hundred <laughs> series. So the meeting with this instrument was like random but also not so we didn't like buy it for ourselves or uh, seek it out just because we wanted some specific things out of it but uh, it happened mm-hmm. that um, uh, this open call for this uh, artist residency in um, near to Vienna where we are now is uh, um, was offering also the um, opportunity to work with the instrument which is as um, which belongs to a museum a local museum this is a museum mm-hmm. that uh, is also an institute of research, and uh, it's all about this uh, Austrian composer called uh, Ernst Krenek. And uh, basically, the story goes that uh, uh, so he's a, he, he was a serious composer, right? <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. he um, he was actually living in California for most of his life, and um, his um, his work uh, used a lot tape and electronics and so on. It was just always uh, interested in uh, using the um, newest uh, kind of te- technology. And so uh, in uh, 66, 67, he asked Don Bukla to build the instrument for himself. And so we that's a still an instrument that we have, fully functional, and musicians are welcome to use it. So that was already super unique because uh, to have a museum piece that we, we could use was really exciting. And so we have yeah. these uh, two cabinets and two uh, keyboard touch sensors. And uh, Chris can take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, to say, say uh, maybe just like one, one other thing about the, um, the history is just because this is like a, kind of a research institution because it's the foundation of the composer. They introduced us to a lot of kind of amazing information about Ernst Krenick, and they have letters um, of him corresponding with Bukla and Morton oh, Subotnik, wow. uh, like uh, to stop by their studio to see the instrument or like how much it's going to cost and all this kind of thing. <laughs> so it's really just kind of incredible to, I, wow. I don't know, I, I was just completely enamored with this. I, I thought it was fascinating. You really feel... Yeah. Like you're really living fe- in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, it's like a complete time machine. Um, in the, in this yeah. context, they they have it there. So it was just massively inspiring. And um, yeah. And, and we also, 
I mean, Ernst Krenick, he's this kind of composer where if you're studying classical music, maybe you hear his name and you hear like a couple pieces and he kind of, you know, he's not one of those so famous 20th century composers that you, you're studying him for months in school or something like that. And so mm-hmm. to kind of see something like that up close and really get in touch with his work, it was really inspiring just because it was uh, completely new to us. We didn't, we didn't know anything about him and there was a lot to be inspired by. And they have, you can listen to his pieces on that exact bukla and then play that exact bukla and kind of hear oh, how he was getting to those sounds and everything and... Yeah, and for uh, like uh, analyzing the uh, scores from yeah, what we could understand is that basically he was using the uh, bukla for uh, like sound synthesis, and then actually was interested in um, uh, transferring it to tape, and then develop the composition from there. So w- of mm-hmm. all of his notes, uh, we could uh, <laughs> come up with the understanding that uh, he was like interested in uh, serializing uh, or applying the twelve tone technique to like uh, frequencies amplitudes and so on but then uh, most of the uh, notes it's like about splicing the tape and so on so we don't know too much mm-hmm. about what he really was thinking about approaching the instrument but still um, yeah it was really interesting and so yeah so we arrived at the at the instrument and uh, we started getting a feel for it and um, as instrumentalists we would never like um, say that uh, I like give general, um, uh, I don't know, definitions of the instrument because like we just used it for a month. So we just, uh, it's like a, mm-hmm. an album that uh, encapsulates the first feeling on the instrument. And uh, we found some very funny features on the instrument, uh, like uh, the relay. Yeah, you wanna like uh, there's a relay, I think, in the sample and hold. So when you p- plug something into it, it just starts clicking. And we didn't know yeah. that at first. And it was really, <laughs> I'm That's sure scary. you know. Yeah. yeah, it was really funny. Uh, yeah, I've heard about that too. Um, yeah, it starts speaking to you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we were thinking if you're not, if you're performing live, you really have to kind of consider Focus. that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> part of the <laughs> yeah. sound it's it's really pretty loud <laughs> yeah. um so i mean i guess just thinking as it being a museum piece like are people kind of is it in its own room um that you're able to work on it kind of by yourselves or are people you know going through the museum and <laughs> while you're working on it so in this case, the museum was closed for uh, the month, and we mm. were just able to be there um, whenever we mm. wanted. And it wasn't uh, in its own separate room, but they s- mentioned that they're trying to, uh, that they're renovating and they're trying to um, build out a special area just for the Bukla um, where people can work. Um, but in general, the Institute is incredibly welcoming, and I think... Uh, put aside some time, especially for the musicians that are working on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had you, tell me about, or tell us about what you thought when you, like, uh, you, you decided to use it. You know, you saw it, you had some kind of feelings about it, maybe you knew something about Buchla, like what, can you describe the 
sort of the first experience of deciding to use it and exploring it and what you thought of the kind of the tactile experience of patching it and, and the knobs and such? Yeah. Um, okay, Revelation, banana cables. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> was welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I actually, I mean, just to just to put out there our own ignorance, I didn't actually know that the signals were separated on Bukla mm. until like yeah. maybe a week before um, cool. we got here or something. But um, so that was really, that's super interesting actually. And um, yeah, and of course, so like like we said, we had this kind of DIY uh, approach before that. So our instruments are obviously not up to the professional <laughs> standards of Bukla. So it's been also was really nice in the sense of feeling something that is like uh, completely worked out, you know, it's like a, a, an engineering marvel of its time for sure. So you, you can feel that. Um, there are so many um, idiosyncrasies to the thing that uh, are really quite enjoyable, especially those um, touch controllers. Like, um, something I noticed that has really stuck with me for some reason is, I don't know if this is, if I'm saying something and it's not correct, <laughs> please tell me, but this is my impression of it, is that on the, on this keyboard controllers, if you, if you press two notes at once, which is not really, it's a kind of a monophonic thing, but if you press two mm -hmm. notes at once, the voltages are kind of summed for just a second or something, just for like a millisecond. Uh, before oh. it works out what is the... Which one to go to. Yes. And so this kind of makes these almost clicking sounds, like a higher... If it's if it's uh, a pitch you're hearing, it's like a higher pitch for a second or something like this. It almost mm. reminds me of how if you had a wooden woodwind instrument, like a clarinet, you don't just hear the clarinet sound, but you hear all these like key clicks and all of this extra sound of the instrument. And to me, that's like the extra sound of that instrument, that it has all this extra character because of this kind of quirk of it. And I feel a bit like the the whole in, the instrument as a whole is filled with things like that, and they just add up to give it this extremely rich character. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I will have to ask uh, Mark and Chip from MEMS, or somebody that has a, a 100 series if they yeah, have the same thing with with their touch controllers. So I was actually um, very curious to ask you, you know how many 100 series there's around of like maybe the original? Uh, handful. Okay. I know. No, it's it's so it's so tough. Um, there's one person I, I know of that does a, a lot of um, uh, repairs and upkeep on on the old system so I'm sure they have like a good sense of what is is still out there but even modern stuff like I'm a, I'm still <laughs> curious like well how many people have a music easel of some type yeah. or um, you know because it's it, it's a very niche thing and and it seems like Don really wasn't in the business to make <laughs> yeah. money <laughs> and um and was just kind of always going on to the the next thing and and once he had already achieved that next thing and mm -hmm. on to the next so um yeah. yeah i yeah unfortunately i don't have an answer for you but it's it's not many mm -hmm. there's a this at least in, in modern 
uh, Buchla, you know, the 200E, and then the manufacturers that make uh, modules that f- for the 200E format, like uh, Keen Association in Moscow, they, Keen specifically, they sell very limited number of modules. So there's, I have two that they make, and both of them, there are only 20 in, in the whole run of each of them. So in the world of 6 billion people, there are 20 of us that have wow. the, these modules, which is insane to think about. And I would be really surprised, although, I mean, I'd, I'd, I would accept it, but I'd be surprised if there are more than 20 Buchla 100s mm-hmm. out there um, because they were built to, I believe they were built to order. And then there's some, you know, history stuff with the Buchla company and, you know, and all of that, but I've never seen one. And, um, there was one, there's one at a local university, right, Kyle, that we were going to go down and see, or did it get stolen or? No, that one, uh, yeah, Evergreen, I think, um, uh, I think, is it Richard D. James, the Aphex twin? I think he had, he, he bought that Ah, one. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're 200. I think there's about a 200 got stolen. There's so much history there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I think there's one up on Orcas Island too that's right the um, one that um uh, caitlin caitlin aurelia smith borrowed yeah that, that got her into bukla if i recall yeah. correctly yeah there's really not very many i mean it, it, it's you can tell it's kind of like you know if we were talking about the korg poly 6 synthesizer keyboard they're not going to be a whole lot of stories to tell past some of the famous you know users of it because there are so many of them made but then again mm-hmm. It's just as hard to know how many Poly 6 users there are as there are Google 100 users because people just generally don't talk about using the instruments when hmm. when they're not geeking out about them like we are. <laughs> that, yeah. That's, what, that's what's so kind of, it's like a, a, a double-edged sword in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it also goes back to, you know, as we assume there's not a lot of these and then there's not a lot of recordings. Like, I'd love to hear what you heard. Um, yeah. from the composer um, oh, yeah. and their recordings with it. We can absolutely um, send that along. And, yeah. yeah. Be oh, great. awesome. Yeah. But like, it's still so exciting because it, you know, these weren't in the hands of, of lots of musicians early on. And so, you know, for you two to be able to get your hands on it and spend a month with it, it's just like, great. We get more music from these, <laughs> you know, kind of still not, somewhat not fully discovered instruments yeah um oh go ahead i was gonna say the piece that we heard of his um was it's called tape and double and you can just hear it on youtube but we'll we can send it along but uh it's for two pianos and uh, a tape that was made with the bukla and uh there's some piano preparation as well and uh they were mentioning to us that um that back in Europe, before he had moved to the States, uh, Krennic had a chance to work in Cologne at the studio where Stockhausen was working, and that he felt a little bit frustrated that he didn't feel like he got enough time in the studio, that there was some kind of agenda there. And one of his big motivators for uh, picking up the Buchla was that it he felt like he had some autonomy to work with this, what at the time was very new, uh, like electronic mm-hmm. music techniques on on his own. And so that piece was kind of basically his first chance to really dive into that system and and have at his own um, access to these techniques of electronic music from that time. 
because the piece I think is from 67 and the Ukla was from right yeah. around then. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very, it's very early. So I, I have to imagine, you know, he probably quickly heard about it from, from what Martin Spotnik probably. was doing. Yeah. And then, you know, then like, I guess there's, there's letters and, and whatnot. So I, I'm sure it's one of the, you know, first maybe five or 10 mm-hmm. or something maybe that were probably. built. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know for sure. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, so, um, so yeah, so you pay, so you kind of followed suit and you paired the bukla with piano. Um, I'm guessing there's a p- well, yeah, there's like a piano right around the corner from it, so it's easy <laughs> <Exactly>. to <laughs> for you two to to work on that. Yeah, we also like. Um, it's there, there's this uh, kind of double inspiration. There's uh, the Kranex example, and also this um, the the statement that we find multiple times uh, online of uh, Don Bukla talking about keyboard, not keyboard. <laughs> what it, uh, yeah, <laughs> and so we were like, oh really? Mm-hmm. Like let's have our our opinion about this matter. And so yeah, yeah and it was also time for us to. Uh, write a little bit for acoustic piano and um yeah so we put the two things together but really with um with the uh, main interest of going to the synth first and um yeah like extrapolating from it some kind of material and then through this filter uh, apply it to this this material to the piano mm-hmm. yeah we were almost treating the um Oh, oh, there is this uh, kind of techniques that sometimes come up, which is like speech to melody techniques that some composers like uh, Jacob TV or Oblinger have used where you have, or even like Steve Reich, um, a lot of different people where you have the um, recorded voice and then you try to sync up some kind of melody exactly to that, either based on the pitches that are intoned by the uh, voice or, or something extra. And so we wanted mm-hmm. to think about the Bukla recording we came to as a kind of uh, recorded spoken voice and then um, write this uh, piano part on top of it that was almost completely in unison um, with it to kind of uh, color it and have them have them work together in a kind of lingual way, I guess. And... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that really we it's a different approach to writing for piano for us. So it was really interesting, and we never would have gotten to that um, result without uh, either the Bukla or discovering um, Krennic's music. Um, yeah, and then in the composition, we also usually put our own kind of restrictions. So, for example, on the synth, we try to stick to more or less one single patch. That's why also it's a very short album. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> and then uh, on the way we also found like some other little funny things, like the resonance in the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, um, uh, yeah, the the we we managed to find this way of getting. There's like a I don't maybe you can explain this, but there's like it feels like there's a resonant frequency to the spring reverb where if you just hit the right frequency, it kind of goes crazy because it's just the right uh, right frequency yeah. for the spring or something like this. So we were able to very subtly play with that a little but bit. But that's a some happy, happy accident. Yeah, <laughs> some things like this. Yeah. Happen, so. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, that's the that's the note to go back to. Yeah, or, yeah, that, yeah. Or, or I guess, yeah, in your sense, it's probably, yeah, one of the, the fifth key on the <laughs> <Yeah>. second <laughs> touch plate yeah. to, to go back to. Um, so, okay, so it was multi-track. So you kind of, you did the Buchla stuff first, and then, Nicoletta, you played piano to that yeah, exactly. recording? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, because I was going to say, it's like, ooh, that'd be... That'd be tough to try and 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 do it there, you know, perform that recording or something yeah, at, the, yeah. at the same time. Yeah, if we um, were to treat the book club part now as like uh, in contemporary music, we would play to tape. Uh, I could we could do that yeah. either with click or without. But yeah, yeah, it would be tricky to do live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me, do you kind of remember your? Um, we we kind of touch on this concept of like a, a base patch or a master patch or um, we found that some people that are notable users of Buchla, um, like Suzanne Chiani, um, you know, will kind of patch the instrument the same way and they've been doing it more or less for their whole hmm. <laughs> career of, of using the instrument. Um, and so they kind of get it to one state that allows them to, you know, perform for an hour or whatever it is they're trying to do and i kind of picked up and like you mentioned how you, uh, you use the same um patch for every um track on the on the album um how did you know you were kind of there how long did it take you to get to that point hmm. to, um where you knew that was yeah you had something there and, and you had enough flexibility to keep exploring it yeah that's a great question <laughs> Um, I th well, when we first arrived, we had this project in mind, which still kind of came to fruition in its own way of recreating basically sounds from the environment using the bukla, so like bird sounds and things like this, uh, mm -hmm. not music per se. And so when we started, we started trying to make some of those bird and animal sound patches. Um, and I think that kind of get, got us a feel for the instrument because you have to kind of find your way around uh, making different sounds. Um, yeah, going for specific goals. Yeah. yeah. And so for the first week or so, we were mainly focused on that. And then I think, I think just because of our own musical backgrounds and basically we, we want to play in tune in the end, it's really important to us, like the pitches and the harmony and this kind of thing. So I think for the mm -hmm. patching, we still had some clear goals in mind in terms of um, harmony and things like this, which is really, it's not, I, it's not like the natural approach that arises out of the bukla because it doesn't really want to be in tune, let's say. But um, yeah. <laughs> that still kind of was our starting point uh, in some naive way. But um, yeah, so, so I think a lot of the foundation for the patching came from uh, desired harmonic outcomes and also like a few things we noticed. Like I, I really loved the way that you could gliss between um, uh, notes on the, on the touch controller and get these kind of quick uh, little gestures so we knew we wanted to write that in mm -hmm. and um yeah uh, i don't know just kind of working in uh different things there was another thing i really uh knew i wanted to include which was um i liked the idea of making these rhythmic gestural um uh 
patterns, but really just gestures by changing the speed of the sequencer. And, you know, when you turn mm, the speed mm-hmm. up, you get the gesture. And when you turn it back down, it stops playing because it's too slow. And then just kind of patching it in a way so that you have um, some kind of rhythmic superimposition where you're not going to get a repetition in a really long time. So that every time it plays, you kind of hear the same harmonic world, but the actual melody that comes out is different and the timing of the melody is different. And that's what kind of inspired the speech idea as well, because speech kind of has the same features where it it has kind of a harmonic stability and that there's like a range that people tend to intone. And then it has a rhythmic stability where there's these gestures, but then the rest is kind of always changing. Um, And so I think that was one other thing we really wanted to, to work in. Yeah, and then uh, in at least on a theoretical level, uh, there was often often the um, um, attempt to experiment with the idea of what's a machine and what's a performer. So, like if we were having something on the sequencer, then we were treating my part um, um, like like what if I was the sequencer and like this kind of thoughts. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that was very interesting because we are always like so proud of like keep performing and not just um, like, um, I, don't, I don't know, like la- launching things from the keyboard, from the computer keyboard that, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's an important part of our work. And so to, yeah, have this like identity swap between the bukla and the pianist is kind of <laughs> fun for us. <laughs> yeah, you, well, I've, you know, seen in watching some other videos. Um, yes, you're both very rhythmic in your in your playing and kind of your your sequencing. It's a, you know very mesmerizing uh, to watch. And I did notice that, like in in your video performance, I think of the uh, it's the last track, Epigram mm-hmm. Five, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it, it's. It's fun to watch and very, very impressive. Thank you. <laughs> was there anything about using the Buchla 100 where you, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that you came in, you know, very open-minded because it's such an odd instrument anyway. Uh, that's what we love about it. But was there anything that you really wanted to happen that you couldn't make happen or any other kind of frustration that was just, you know, throw your hands up and... Um, accept it and move on (laughs) you know what i mean because like pitch for example that's kind of commonly known that even the modern 200e stuff doesn't track pitch perfectly via cv and Mm -hmm. we kind of accept that Uh, but sometimes things come up you're like man it should just it should work but i can't get it to work that way did anything stand out like that where you were frustrated um Honestly, not too much. And I don't know if I'm just like really happy to accept whatever um, the (laughs) instrument gives me, or maybe it's because I was used to our own instruments, which are also super finicky um, in their own way. Um, But uh, so the tuning thing, I did know it would be a problem. And and at first I wasn't intending to, um, to, actually, I think our frustration was we were trying to, use the bukla what we what we felt it was most suited for which wasn't really um super in tune um like chromatically in tune uh pitches but i think we found some frustrations trying to write music that was kind of outside of our own um 
compositional language. And so then yeah. we were like, mm -hmm. no, we kind of need to play in Compromise. tune. Yeah, <laughs> play in tune to write music <laughs> that we're really um, happy with. And so then it was just kind of accepting that, well, I will tune this for an hour and then do one take and um, hope that it stayed in tune the whole time. Because really, um, there's like two 16-step uh, sequencers with three rows of voltages and then the uh, touch keyboard with two rows of voltages. So it really took like an hour mm -hmm. to uh, tune it before we did um, a, a yeah. take of any of them. But I, I wouldn't really call that so much a frustration as just like um, kind of a fun part of the process, honestly. But, <laughs> yeah, um, the, a, uh, a famous musician who will remain nameless <laughs> told me that, he said, you Buchla people have Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> that we, that we have accepted mm -hmm. all these limitations and what he, what he thought or what they thought of you know faults in the design we've accepted them as characteristics mm -hmm. of the experience of of using the instrument and like well you just don't get it that's, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's my response it's <laughs> really funny yeah. it's kind of true but then again i mean it's it's just like every piano has a different characteristic, you know. Even when they're tuned by the same person in the, exactly the same way, every guitar is different. You know, there there are things that can be limitations or even faults in a design that become the the a characteristic of the instrument, even if it was a mistake or a bad circuit or or whatever it is. Uh, but you know, when we're talking about instruments, as long as you are enjoying what comes out of it. In some in some regard, even if we don't like the aesthetics of that, I think that there, there's really no criticism that we can make because there's no standard. This is my opinion. There's no standard that we really have for these types of instruments. You can't really compare a Buchla 100 or 200 to something else mm -hmm. because there isn't another thing that's exactly like it to set that standard. Yeah, you know, so. Oh. It's kind of like um, this big discussion about upright pianos versus grand pianos and why don't the upright sound as good. Well, I mean, mm. it's a completely different, even though the both pianos, you know, it's a completely different mm -hmm. thing. So, but I didn't go into that because he just sent me a tweet and uh, I, I thought that <laughs> it wouldn't be a good, a good thing to go to back and forth. Maybe I'll get him on the show one day to tell him how wrong he is. <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> just further proving his point, I think. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's really amazing. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation so you know, today because you are not people who started using the Buchla because you wanted necessarily to get into making music. Like so many of the people, you know, a lot of us are amateurs or not classically trained or otherwise not really musicians in, in the true sense you know, we're tinkerers or the mad scientist types and got Buchla because it's cool and interesting and different. Mm -hmm. But you can't, you're coming from a, a little bit different direction from, from a lot of us. I think it's really interesting to hear about how you saw or heard in your mind a, a kind of a different aesthetic that the Buchla 100 and then that connection to Krennic is um, pretty interesting too. I, I think that that would be... Like I, if I got to go to Austria and use that 100, I might also find that I'm creating a different type of music with it than I would if I used a 100 here, you know, in at, at somebody's house or at a university here, just because of that sort of uh, cultural connection to 
the person that it was built for and the, and the music that he created on it. Yeah, totally. Which I think is, I think that's pretty compelling. I, I also feel the same way if you let me play that sheep. <laughs> o- o- <Oto> thing. <laughs> which I, as soon as COVID's over, I'm going to Europe and I'm going to go visit all of the people that I've, that I've talked to. That'll be fun. So did, um, I guess, yeah, I guess what Robert was just talking about and um, kind of the whole experience of being there for a month and taking everything in and, um, you know, noticing on your website, you've, you've been to or done very, um, you know, 20 plus residencies. Is it always kind of the same process of like, do you kind of go in fresh to a new area? Um and to the residency and um, or how much are you kind of, how much is there like a goal of something specific? Yeah. So I think um, there's a variety of experiences. Um, So we always go in with at least one more or less general idea. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, they're either it happens or it completely transforms or it um, multiplies in ways that become dangerous. <laughs> like then we take on so many projects. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah, in general, I think we have learned just to stay uh, open-minded as much as possible. Mm, mm-hmm. And of course, the shorter the residencies are, uh, the more specific is the idea we go into into them with, um, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. For example, when, when, so does no, this? No, please. Oh yeah, go ahead. Please, please. <laughs> oh, I guess I was gonna I was gonna take it in elsewhere and was wondering if um, this now leads you wanting to get into over to Stockholm at uh, EMS. Yes, absolutely. For the two hundred <laughs> yeah. system. That's yeah. what I was gonna ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would love that. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you two do over there. Yeah. So, so the Epigrams album is half of the project that we actually developed here, because and the other half we might as well continue in uh, future residencies with Bukla, because um, mm. so we happen to develop also a certain interest in notation because we were wondering, so like we have gone through all the effort of building a synthesizer and so on, but and we are so accustomed as classically trained musicians to use scores. So what are, what are we going to do with notation of this music that we do with the synthesizers? Yeah. And so we were doing some research and um, to see what people have attempted and of course what's the more or less standard way of notating patches and so on. And uh, the specific features of the Bukla instrument uh, made us um, think of an experiment we could <laughs> come up with. Uh, so we we developed a sort of graphic notation that we uh, is um, based on the Bukla system, but can really uh, be adapted to all the other systems. And um, yeah, so th- there are kind of uh, patches we started with for some of our music, but uh, that uh, are notated Mm -hmm. down in not super specific ways and therefore can be read quite openly uh, depending on the performer, uh, the performer's decisions. And um, so it's a sort of basic read of circles and then 
uh, additional transparencies with the, like other circles and lines and so on that can be used to create uh, patches. It's a sort of puzzles, uh, puzzle that takes some time maybe to put together, but we hope that it will be something fun and a different way to approach the instrument. And uh, we thought that also yeah. is a little bit in uh, Bukla style, like to try to find new ways of uh, looking at the instrument and uh, just um, like kind of warm up exercises that uh, make you, um, yeah, hopefully find something else on a system yeah. that you know. Yeah. I'd love to see yeah. those. So also on our website where we can send you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're working on a way to notate the patch and also notate the music, or it's really only do you still the use patch. classic orchestration? Only the patch, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you use classic orchestration um, for the actual music? Pretty pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, Embarrassingly, well, I mean, with, we can't uh, yeah. get away from it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. You can invent your own. Hey, you know what you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can uh, definitely invent your own key signatures, um, and nobody will complain. <laughs> I think Legati Legati did that. Um, they set the standard there. You should be okay. <laughs> so, do you uh, notate your patches or something like that? I do um, because I use a two hundred E, which has preset yeah. management, so it will store the you know locations of the knobs, mm -hmm. and so I don't need to notate the knob and buttons. Yeah. I can leave that out. I only have to notate the uh, CV and Tiny Jacks audio. Okay. And so I, I've been working on my own notation for that um, a markup language of sorts that we can use with, um, you know, on an iPad or a computer that has color coding and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that for rapid recreation of the patch for live performance. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, that's kind of been my idea. And then I have a music notation that I've developed for myself to um, that is less about the actual um, values of the notes, but instead is the CV value of mm -hmm. the pitch. So, you know, 1.2 is going to be one octave up from whatever the base note is, of course. And so I just, that way I don't have to worry about whether it's a C or a D sharp or an F. Mm -hmm. um, I just can tune it to whatever base note I want and then have all of the pitches relative through control voltage values, which is something kind of cool about the Bukla that mm -hmm. I can't do on a keyboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then I can map that to the notation. Uh, and then that way, if I change the patch cable or, um, or something or change the value of a potentiometer, then it will scale that pitch. And then I can have an expectation of what the subsequent sounds are going to be like if I decide to to change that or remix it or, or something like that. That sounds yeah. amazing. We'd yeah. love to see that yeah. too. Yeah, I need to open source that probably. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be probably better than me just taking photos <laughs> or, or, or uh, keeping an audio diary of all the patch points and stuff. And, and yeah. 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 We, we orchestrate so that it can be performed again, you mm -hmm. know, not to capture what was just capture what was written, but so that it can be subsequently performed. And there is a kind of a philosophy in, among some people in kind of the modular synthesizer world that once a patch is recorded, it just doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this postmodern, you know, Derrida deconstruction attitude of that it's come apart 
once it's once it's been recorded and the recording is the sort of existential aspect of the music not the patch that was used to record it yeah. that's the theme of my my last album was the materiality is only in the recording of the music and the patch can never be recreated again because it uses fm radio you know john cage and stuff mm-hmm. so you could adhere to that philosophy kyle and completely save yourself from the time and energy of <laughs> no yeah. all of your patches <laughs> yeah i i guess i yeah. fluctuate back and forth of like where i have you know i've you know taking photos of my music easel and and recording a video of the patch like has helped me where i've been able to you know go and recreate the things live at later dates um but now that the system has grown it's and the spaghetti mess of <laughs> cables <laughs> is uh larger um yeah it is something uh, i guess i also want to kind of like we were talking about before with the base patch like at some point it'd be nice to get kind of set into something like that and and so i know where all my patch cables go yeah and then it is more and maybe have like a set tuning for each oscillator because fortunately the later ones are or at least the clones i've used are, are a bit more stable and so if everything kind of starts at this one zero point um it'll be easier to then um collect data of like where i get to like for each piece I, and, I f- and maybe that's kind of the best you can do for aleatoric music mm-hmm. i think you know if you're leaving mm-hmm. stuff up to chance then the best you can do is kind of orchestrate the patch because whatever the 266 does or whatever's on the radio that day or however you happen to touch the keyboard is going to change the it's going to that's what's left up to chance so it's really mm-hmm. documenting the patch and then every performance of it is different um that's it's, it's yeah. um yeah now i can understand why people stick with violin <laughs> you know because <laughs> it's like 700 years of tradition and uh <laughs> you don't have to think about it anymore um well yeah i'm i'm excited to see where you i guess take this um second half of the project yeah and i hope you keep in touch and and uh yeah tell us what or keep us abreast of where where it goes um so pat um this album is coming out um i think this episode's gonna air before it comes out right because it's at the end of february Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Friday. It comes out and, the 26th, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, um, and where, I guess, where's the best uh, place to send our listeners to, to, um, yeah, to get the album and then, you know, learn more about your, your other projects. Uh, for the album, I think our Bandcamp page, um, which is just postpartuduo.bandcamp.com, I think. And then, of course, on our website, there's loads of other information about the project and everything. And everybody is so very welcome to be in touch and ch- make us change our opinions about instruments <laughs> yeah. or ask about anything. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess real quick before we sign up, what's the? Uh, can you give us an explanation of the of how you came to the name? Yeah. Passport to do. Oh, to our name, yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, for us, it's a way to say that it's like this uh, master key that opens all the doors or many doors. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. how also in Italian we say the, the key, the, the, yeah, the, this master key. 
and um, yeah, it just uh, hopefully uh, a way that um, leads us to unexpected uh, rooms and uh, yeah, new worlds, new possibilities. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I guess with that, we'll we'll let you go. Um, once again, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you. We'd like to thank Nicoletta and Christopher for being on the show today. You can find their work at passport2duo.com. You can find my new album, Robert, at robstand.com and Kyle's music at darksparkler.bandcamp.com. Uh, check out our friend's podcast, Tim Held's podcast, The Podular Modcast, as well as Jay Ryan's podcast, The Deerhorn. If you want to help support the show, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com slash source of uncertainty. And you can still get your source of uncertainty t-shirts at sourceofuncertainty.threadless.com. You can find out more about the show or contact us through our website, sourceofuncertainty.audio. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at source of uncertainty and on YouTube. We'll talk to you next month. Au revoir.